the news that women will no longer play ice hockey at UND sent shockwaves through campus this afternoon. WDAZ Scott Cook continues our team coverage. He joins us live from campus. Scott, what's the vibe from students and fans? Yeah, Stacey, a lot of the students I spoke with earlier today knew that budget cuts were happening and that a lot of sports were on the chopping block, but most of them were just shocked that it was women's hockey that had to go, especially in such a big hockey town like Grand Forks here. Today, on this edition of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast, we tackle a topic that, frankly, no coach and no college student-athlete ever really wants to think about, much less discuss. What happens when your school cuts your team? We related it and talked to some kids. Uh, it's, uh, there's, uh, I don't know if you can compare this to anything else, to, you know, except for uh, death of a loved one. I mean, really, that's the emotion of um, how that feels. That was University of North Dakota women's hockey coach Brian Adelski talking about the day that they'll never forget. If you live in Grand Forks, North Dakota, or if you are a women's college hockey fan, March 29th is going to be etched in your memory because that is the day that it was announced by the University of North Dakota Athletic Department that women's hockey, along with men's and women's swimming, would be cut from the University of North Dakota's athletic department roster due to mandated budget cuts. There just wasn't enough money. And so on that day, athletic director Brian Faison and President Mark Kennedy announced those cuts. To say that there was shock throughout the community would be an understatement. You have to understand North Dakota. If you live in North Dakota, hockey would be the same as living in Ohio and hearing that Ohio State had just cut their football program. It would be shocking. wouldn't be tolerated. There would be uh, protests. And certainly there are people right now, as you listen to this in North Dakota and around college women's hockey, that are surprised, shocked, some are even outraged that a cut like this could happen. And yet it's becoming a reality in college athletics. There is this financial component that is coming face-to-face with the supporters and the fun surrounding what college athletics is and should be. And so that happened. This collision of those two facts and those two factors happened a couple of days ago in North Dakota. And the purpose of focusing this podcast on this particular topic is because it's happening enough with enough uh, regularity that coaches all over the country need to be more aware of the financial part of what makes them operate. And, And also realize that no program is safe. There is no athletic department, no athletic director that doesn't constantly have to worry about having enough money, fundraising for that additional money that they need, and managing the budget in these increasingly challenging economic times. Times where a local community and uh, many parts of the nation really are are, uh, pushing back against college athletics. They say that why can't that money go towards 
better academic programs, improvements across campus that are needed rather than that money going towards funding sports programs. And that's the argument that we're certainly not going to settle on this podcast. But what I did want to focus on is using this most recent example to really dive deep and go inside what goes on inside of a team, inside of a locker room, inside the emotions of a coach and their players when that happens. Now, Coach Adelski and I have gotten to know each other over the years through my work with the American Hockey Coaches Association. I uh, speak many times uh, at their annual convention and uh, on recruiting, and so I've gotten to know a lot of coaches, and it seems like every year I get to sit down face-to-face with Coach Adelski and his staff at some point during that weekend of speaking. Great guy, has built a fantastic program, and really one of the most respected coaches uh, around the country in, in college women's hockey and and has done everything that he needed to do to devote time, effort, and energy into that program. His assistant coaches have as well, and their fans have really supported the program as it's risen through the ranks of college hockey. And so on March 29th, he was as surprised as anybody to get the news that they would no longer be able to operate as a hockey program. So again, what we wanted to do was not place blame or or go inside the numbers. That's for other sports media to handle. We certainly understand uh, Mr. Faison and Mr. Kennedy's role in, in making sure that the University of North Dakota operates within its budget guidelines, and they have uh, far more uh, responsibilities and and oversight and pressure on them to perform from an economic level within that college community. So we're not we're not looking to place blame on them. They were doing their jobs. They were told to cut money and this is where they decided to cut the money. And you can either agree with that or disagree with that. And again, that's not our purpose, not to focus on that. What we wanted to focus on was because this is a podcast for coaches where a lot of coaches come in and talk about how to operate more efficiently and better I really wanted to bring home the story of the University of North Dakota women's hockey team and what other coaches can learn from it, how you can support them in their efforts to save their program, and even look at an instance where not only an entire program was saved, but an entire college was saved from the brink of having to close because of financial reasons. And that's what we want to get into today. So when we reached out to the University of North Dakota women's hockey program, their assistant coach, Eric Fabian, uh, agreed to share some of his insights as well as one of the players directly affected by that decision. A freshman on the team, Sarah LeCavalier, was, was again, one of the players that, that heard the news along with Coach Fabian, Coach Adolski, and the rest of their staff, and the rest of the North Dakota community. And we wanted to take time to talk to them. They graciously agreed. And I hope that if you're listening to this as a coach, you you listen to the whole thing because there are lessons throughout. And at the end, if you feel like you would want to support them, uh, we're going to give you some ways to do that. But we basically started out the conversation with trying to understand what they went through, what they heard, and how this all came about. We asked Coach Fabian what he was doing when he heard the news that the that his program, the University of North Dakota Women's Hockey Program, 
had had been cut from the athletic department budget. Uh, we first heard about this, the decision uh, on the same day everybody else did. You know, we knew cuts were coming to the university and to the athletic department, and we went a normal day. You know, obviously there's rumors going around about everything else, and we had a normal day here at the rink. Ladies had their workouts. We went on the ice for a skill session, and in the middle of the skill session, I went off the ice to grab a few things for uh, for the the ice session and looked over at hockey operations director and he uh, shook his head and said, uh, Eric, I think we're getting cut. And I said, how, what do you mean? He goes, we have a meeting with the athletic director at to, uh, 2.45 today. We just got the email. So I went back on the ice, um, told Brian, he said, let's, we're going to finish this. We're going to, we'll tell the players afterwards and how, how it's all going about. But uh, somehow it got out and our seniors that were here working, just happened to be working out, um, started coming on the bench and you know social media obviously started to go um but so we didn't actually find out till officially till 245 that day but obviously the rumors on on social media were out there so we 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 knew what was coming so what within the athletic department you said you had heard some rumors prior Uh, to that like what what had been sort of the what had you been hearing we hear rumors about everything i mean you're this sport that sport you know, it'd be, it'd be women's hockey. Well, no, it wasn't women's hockey. It's gonna be this. And it's gonna be this. And then, you know, we didn't. You didn't know what to believe. Didn't know what it was. Uh, truly, deep down, we never, never thought we would be. Obviously, <laughs> had we thought that, we we would have uh, addressed our team and, and had a had a more serious discussion about that with them. Um, but it, it, you know, it, as I as I always tell people, um, we got the email. Obviously, when you get that email, you know it's not a, a happy meeting you're going to have. Right. So. Um, so then, obviously, like as or as we talked about, it, it got out on social media somehow, and you know, really, that's that's where you know a lot of it started to blow up, and a lot of our uh, seniors this year found out that way, uh, um, just because obviously they were on their phones, and right, it, it was too bad. Right, and and Sarah, just from your perspective as a player, uh, how walk me through the same thing? How did you? How did you hear it as a as a, a freshman at UND? You're going about your normal day. What what? How did you find out? No, like like Eric said, we came to the rink, came to work out, went on the ice, just like every other postseason day. And uh, I personally didn't really start noticing anything different until the very end of practice. Um, as a freshman, we pick up pucks. That's that's just normal for us mm-hmm. to do. And I started. I started to skate around, you know, collect some pucks, and everyone else had gotten off the ice, and and Fabes actually told me like it's a, it's all right, we'll we'll take this one, and uh, so I was the last one to get in the dressing room, and it was just eerily quiet, and you could see the seniors had their red eyes, and mm. and so I put my stick away and just looked around like what's happening, and that's when the coaching staff came in and. And let us know that we did have a meeting at two forty-five with with Faison and and Kennedy, and that's when it kind of hit us all that you know it was it was the bad news that we were hoping we weren't going to hear. Right. And so, like when the coaching staff left, the seniors kind of took charge. Like they're they're all leaders, and we all look up to them. So they told us, "Stay off your phones. You don't want to see this because there was nothing." other than rumors um, right <clears throat> so just stay off twitter and and try and just be with everyone right, right. now 
So just to back up a little bit, to give the, the listener who might be a softball coach in Florida or a basketball coach in California or a, a soccer coach in Texas, what, you know, hockey in North Dakota, uh, that would be, you know, sort of like the, um, you know, you know, football in Ohio. <laughs> I mean, that, it, it explain to people that might not be as familiar or tied in with the culture and the sport and and just that area of the country, what hockey means, and specifically at UND, at the University of North Dakota, both on the men's and women's side, the tradition, the place you play in. Can you give sort of people just a flavor that may be coming into this conversation a little bit uh, naive about what that's all about? The best way I can describe it is um, hockey here at the University of North Dakota is football to what football would be to Alabama, what football would be to, to the University of Texas, what football would be to Florida State University, to uh, Ohio State University. Mm-hmm. That's that's what you know, obviously hockey is like up here. And you're you're thinking about an area of Minnesota, North Dakota, Manitoba, Saskatchewan, um, Western Canada, Alberta. You know, you're talking about all those places that they, hockey it is. It's what it's what's done up here, um, and what is uh, cared about passionately throughout a bunch of communities around here. So when people ask, what is, it, what is it like? Hockey in this area is what football is to the state of Texas. Right, right. Um, and you agree with that, Sarah? And, and I, Kinda... I grew, I grew yeah. up in this area. So for me, yeah, I understand right. that in the small community around here. I'm not talking about just here in Grand Forks. I'm talking about the entire area, um, right. what what the hockey what hockey means to this area and what, what, it, what people are helping special people think it is right and and sir maybe the way i'll ask you that question is as a recruit because you're a freshman and you didn't make your decision all that long ago to come to north dakota uh, over other schools so what was it about the place and the culture and the feel and you know hockey at und kind of walk me through that decision making process and what eventually got you to north dakota to play um well during the recruiting process talking to coaches they tell you you know, you get a feeling. You get a feeling when you go to the school that you want to go to. And I can honestly say that the first time I came here, I got that feeling. And it wasn't necessarily because of the Ralph, even though mm-hmm. it is the most amazing facility I've ever been in. But it's the community. It's all the hockey fans. Like, Fan Fest, my first Fan Fest was this year, and I can say that it's, it makes you feel like one of the most special people in the world to have – know little kids coming up to you like can you can you sign this you you know that you're their role models and it honestly is the hockey community here it's a culture you know it runs through uh, everyone that lives here everyone that goes to school here they know that north dakota hockey pride right i want to back up a little bit further because uh you know the rumors and and I, i this is where i wanted to be instructive for another coach or another athletic department that might be listening to this to understand what were the signs where you where you you got that feeling like something was wrong or you started hearing things and again I'm trying to you know let coaches know what they should be looking for um, as warning signs like what were you hearing and, and over what period of time have these been the uh, you feel like the discussions have been going on behind the scenes well we there had been discussions in this past fall about you know having cuts to the athletic department and at that time a committee was formed and said well no don't do that let's get more funding and try to negotiate contracts with um, say the Ralph as an outside entity where people play and our uh, football stadium where the football team plays the Alaris Center 
you know, try to try to do that to, to make sure we don't have to cut sports. Well, that wasn't right. working. Those things weren't working out anyway. So now they said, well, there are going to be cuts this spring. And the rumors, I guess, you know, maybe that was the fault of us as coaches. You know, obviously we knew some things, heard some rumors, and but – and we really didn't address it. And maybe we right. should have, so our players would have been a little more of a, hey, you know, maybe this could be, I need to, you know, it's not just a root, you know, you know what I mean? Right. But, so we knew there was going to be cuts, as I said. And did we hear rumors that, yeah, well, it could have been this. And I've heard this. And you heard this sport. And you heard that sport. And you heard, well, it's these sports. And it, there, it ran the gamut of everything. So we all knew it. You know, we all knew that that was coming. We didn't know what was going to happen. Um I guess my advice is to the coaches, I'd probably just sit them down and say, listen, no matter what happens, we're going to go about our daily business until it happens, um, just like we would any time. And, yes, there's going to be rumors, there's going to be this, there's going to be that, but we don't know anything definite uh, right. at this time. And we, and when we do, you will be the first to know. So, so you find out the news. It's after practice. The locker room's quiet. Uh, coaches meet. I want to take it back into the coaching side. What – what went on, you know, what was what was the immediate reaction you had as coaches other than, of course, disbelief and probably a little bit of anger, which would be natural. But I'm just wondering, as coaches, what what got discussed? If nothing was being said and there was sort of just some some tears in the locker room, what about in the in the coach's office afterwards? What uh, because you're, you're a group that uh, has worked together for a long time. Seven so I'm just yeah. So I'm just wondering, like, what was that? What was what was being said? For us, obviously, yes, disbelief, um, grief, anger. You run through the you run through the gamut of emotions uh, when when something like this happens. When when you get that when you get that email, I mean, like you said, you get the email. You know, it's not a hey, you're safe right. kind of meeting. Right. Um, to be honest, our thoughts started to go. What do we do? How do we help our players? Mm. Um, what's the next step? for our players because we didn't know what was going to happen. Is it really official? Or, you know, we're trying to talk to people about what's going on. I mean, I'm fielding, because here now it gets out on Twitter, I'm fielding calls and text messages from other coaches in the, the hockey community going, is this true? Yeah, right. I mean, as of right now, yeah, I, I see it is. I said, I have an email, we've got a meeting. So there really wasn't, it was really, we just tried to figure out how are we going to go about this? And until we know the details on everything, we really can't do much more right now other than make sure that we do the do what's right by our players. And right. That's that's really where our discussions were. And obviously, yeah, there, there's there's tears and there's there's anger and everything else. But our discussions were more on that, and there really wasn't a whole lot said, to be honest with you. It was pretty quiet. Right. Because until you go through it, um, you always think you know. It's like anything else in life. You always think you know how you're going to handle it. And always think you know what you're going to do, but until you actually go through it it's pretty tough to know exactly what's going to happen. Sure. Oh, sure. I mean, and you could make the application that it's the same anytime a staff gets fired at a school. Uh, you still have that moment of, you know, sort of sadness, disbelief, maybe a little bit of anger. So understandably all that was taking place. I'll, I'll tell you this, Dan. Uh, I mean, I've lost family members. You know, I, I've, I've had that before. It's it's very similar to that in your feelings. Mm. I still wake up to this day, and I'm sure Sarah does, in the sense of, and here's how I'm going to compare it. It's that disbelief. No way that this happened. No, that right. person's not gone. No, that no, that didn't happen. Uh-uh. I still wake up and feel that way. Like, no, that the program's not gone. It can't be. It, it just can't be. 
Um, and that's really what the feeling was. And I bet Sarah would attest to that. And I know she's gone through her own struggles at times in the past, in the very recent past. I bet she'll tell you very similar, very similarly, it's kind of the same thing in, right. the, in those senses. I'm not saying that it's the same. I'm saying that the, the grief you feel, the disbelief, sure, you, you know, those things are, are similar reactions that you have. Right. So going back to you, Sarah, you know, you, you leave the locker room. Is there just the feeling of, well, that's it. We're done. I have to find a different school or a different place to play. Was there, was there any, you know, at, at that point, it's probably hard to say, wait a minute, we're going to fight this and here's the plan. It's just too soon, I would imagine, right? Yeah. I mean, we left the, the locker room and decided as a team that we were going to walk to the, the meeting together. So a lot of the feelings were just, you know, dealing with your own sadness and seeing if you can help someone else if, if they're completely in shambles like you are. But, um, no, I remember calling my dad and just be like, like, dad, we're done. I don't, I don't know what to say. Like I, we need to start a plan, but I don't think I'm ready to do it right now. Right. I just want to let you know what's going on. And really, I think that was all that we were kind of feeling. We just wanted to be together on it as much as we could. Um, we've all been a huge support system to each other and that's really right. what's been super important in in waking up every day and, and coming back to the rink. You know, you get to see all your best friends and you get to see the coaches and uh, I think that's what's keeping us stable right now. Right. I, you know, and also, Sarah, the question I would have for you is I'm hearing you talk about the situation and, you know, and Eric, I'm hearing you talk about the first, you know, immediate thought from the coaches was the players and the effect on them. And that's not always when a, when a crisis like this hits, whether it's, again, a staff being let go or, or sport being closed down. Uh, sometimes a coach's first reaction is not to think about the players is to think about, well, what's my next move and how am I going to, you know, parlay this into something, you know, next in my career? Um, I guess, I, and here you are doing the interview together. So I guess, Sarah, I'm just wondering for the coaching staff, uh, what kind of coaches do you play for? And I ask that because I don't know that in this situation, a lot of times coaches are fired because of a player complaint. And it just I get the feeling that this is a unique situation and that their staff and the players are extremely close. And I would just love for you to sort of describe for other coaches that are listening to this what that relationship was like is like and uh, and kind of what 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 made them so different. Do you want me to leave Dan so she can speak freely? <laughs> So I think I can start with, um, I didn't get recruited long ago, like you said, that wasn't a very long time ago. And I think all three coaches were always there and, uh, and what you, they were willing to shoot you a text. You could shoot them a text, you know, keep in contact with them all the time. And there's just something special, definitely about that. Um, Eric mentioned it. No, not, not very long ago, but I did go through quite a bit of a, a hardship in my life. I, I lost my best friend two years ago in a car accident. Mm. And, Sorry. Uh, <laughs> that's okay. 
And uh, all three of them were there, like, giving me texts, like, we're a family. And this was after I um, had committed, but, no, we're a family. We consider you family. And if there's anything that you need, we will be there for you. And that meant a lot to me, you know. Um, no, I wasn't at North Dakota yet. And the fact that they were thinking about me during this time was just so special. And uh, and when I came here, that just that just grew more. They're willing right. to go out on the ice with you anytime you want. They're willing to do video with you anytime. If you need help with school, you know, Fabe has helped me on the road a couple times with with math questions. And you know, the coaching staff here is a lot like us in the aspect that they're fighters. No, they're never going to give up on anything. Right. If it means a lot to you, then it means a lot to them. Right. Just in to back up again a little bit to take a different view of this, uh, you know, obviously the president, the athletic director, made a business decision, uh, and it didn't affect some sports. It affected your sport as well as the swimming program at the University of North Dakota. And other schools have gone through this, so it's not a unique story that you're going through. Other than that, it's happening to you, and so that's when it you know matters matters most. And I guess I'm just wondering, did you? I mean, this is really to both of you, uh, for you, Eric, and also for you, Sarah, as a player. Like the the realization that this isn't uh, a guaranteed thing that everybody has. It's it is a business. There's money coming in. There's money going out. And if there's not enough money, then there's a cutback that needs to be made, just like it would be that would be the case in a personal budget. Uh, I guess I'm just wondering what have you learned about the business side of college athletic departments and college sports through all this? Um, I think that I just learned, you know, college sports is for development. As much as it is a business side, mm -hmm. there are very few teams that make money, and I think that's that's kind of What's that? 7%. Yeah, 7% of college teams make money. As For the athletic the department. Exactly. I, believe, I believe that's the stat. Yeah. And it's just crazy to, to learn that, but right. no, I think that's what I, on you know, my side. Everybody, I think a lot of it is, uh, everybody knows there's that business aspect and that side of it, and no one really likes to talk about it. Because it is college and it's student athletes, but that that is a part of you know decisions that are made, and you're not going to agree with every decision. You're not going to be able to uh, comprehend every decision, but that that's the we always talk to and even talk to athletes about about when there's um, even recruiting. At some point, there's a business side of it that hey, we do need a decision because we've got so and so ready to go, and you know for us, it's she's waiting. Basically, we're waiting on you, and right. she's about ready to go somewhere else. But we can't afford to lose her because you're gonna, you know, want to wait. And then all right. of a sudden, you decide to go somewhere else. And now we're down to number ten. There's always right. those business side of things, but it's not the pretty side of athletics, especially in the college game. Um, you know, uh, like you said, everybody has to make a decision. I understand the dollars and cents of it. I, I don't, I don't deny that this this saves the athletic department money. I will never ever say that. So, right, it's right. A, it's a side of athletics no one like no one likes to talk about or get into because it's not the pretty side and it's not the glamorous side that people that you like to see when you think about athletics and school pride. And no matter if you're here or <clears throat> University of Minnesota or Florida State, 
right. Texas. Everybody, you know, they, they feel pride for their university and their athletics, and that, that's what they want to feel. They don't want to know about the business side. Right. Well, and, and I want to talk about sort of the effort to save the program here in a second, but the I'll, just to expand on that a little bit, uh, do you think that coaches at all levels, D1, Division two, D3, and AIA, do you think coaches need to be more aware or more actually more involved on the on the sort of financial understanding side of their sport? I mean, there are some sports out there that have to fundraise an incredible amount of money every year just to travel, just to have uniforms, the equipment that they need. And so it becomes a, a really regular part of their life. And then there's other coaches where they step in and say, hey, we've got a great facility. It's Division One. Uh, maybe we don't, you know, the, the people behind the scenes will handle the money. I guess I'm just wondering, uh, you know, moving forward, let's say the program gets saved or you end up eventually coaching at another school. How does your, as a coach, how does your attitude change about money in athletics and understanding sort of the financial health of your individual program? I guess what would you look for or ask the next time around? And hopefully that's at University of North Dakota uh, in the new incarnation, but just like what if I guess what have you learned through this process about you know what you know what you take ownership over and what you um, and and then what you you know can't affect? Yeah, um, obviously. First of all, yes, I, I don't want to. I don't. This is my first choice to coach at. I, I love this place. You know, I played yeah. here. I, I I grew up being a North Dakota hockey fan, and I got to coach here. I mean, so for me, this is this is like this is where I want to be. Um, right. And I right. get there. There's jobs and. Anyway, um, but no one's saying that. Uh, you, you have to be more proactive, even if you think that the fundraising part, oh, we're good because we have it. You just have to go. I think you, you have to show that you're making progress towards it, toward at least trying to help. And you right. have to be involved and active in that and being able to ask for the ask. You know, um, that's the hard part. It's just in recruiting. The hard part is to ask them to make here. Do you want here it is. You got to make a decision here. Do you want it? Making the ask is the toughest part. Um, and I think for us, especially in, in the program's uh, history, it's been 15 years. This is the 15th season. And that's tough when you have yeah. uh, re, you know, your oldest alumni at best is 35 years old. 35 right. years old. They're not even close to the, to the point of where they can give that, that, those kind of dollars that really make a big-time difference in your program. But here's what I will tell them any coach that has a young program like us. Mm -hmm. You get on your young recruits, you have them give you $50 a year because when they start giving, they will continue to give. It creates a habit. It creates yeah, a habit. Absolutely. It creates, but you, you just, hey, we're asking for $50. And also show them that you give. You give right. to that program too because now they can, well, do you give? Yes, I give to the athletic department and I, or to whatever, the, the booster club and the, the program. Right. So you're not asking them to do something that you're not willing to do yourself. And I think if you can right. continue to build that now, even it might be your player's parents. Hey, I'm giving. Your daughter's giving. What are you willing to give? Are you willing to help us out? We want to sustain this program. I guess that that's the biggest lesson I'm going to take away. And right. um, that, yeah, you, you just have to go and we're willing to give. Are you willing to help in any way? And it's not an easy question. And you might hear no a lot. And, but that's the, that's the reality of it, that I would, I would get on every recruit as soon as they leave, or not recruit, sorry, every alumni, as soon as they leave, hey, would you be willing to start up a, a, a $50 a year, even $100 a year, whatever it is. I mean, that's less than $10 a month. And right, I mean, right. 
if you've played here, you you would be able to give that, especially if you had a passion for the program and a love of it. That that'd be an easy easy thing for you to do, and it's a, it can just keep continuing to come out. If you want to ever up it, we can re you know re uh, visit that at another time. But for sure, that's uh, that's reality that hit me that I went, man, that's something I wish I would have done. You know, you do a lot of sure. reflecting in these last a week now. Oh yeah, it's been a yeah, week. absolutely, yeah. So so. Okay, so it's been a week, and a lot has happened in that week, and part of that is the effort now to save the program. And I'm just, I, I, I had you take everybody back to the point where you heard the news. I guess when was the first time, and again, both to you, Eric, as well as as a player to you, Sarah. Um, when did you? When did it? How did the effort start? How did the conversation start about? Hey, wait a minute, let's save this. Where? How did that begin? Well, for us as a staff, I believe about Friday, we started, I mean, people started to reach out and you have the conversations with people and all of a sudden you kind of got this little bit of a, we got support mm-hmm. and yeah, you know what, if, they, if these, if these players want to fight, we'll fight with them. So we went and had a meeting about noon mm-hmm. with the players, with the players okay. and Brian basically put it on the table for them. Of, is this something you want to do? So this is noon on on Friday, Friday March thirty first. Forty eight hours later. Yeah, okay, afternoon. so I was just going to say that this is when Wednesday afternoon on out, the yeah. 29th is when you got the news Correct. initially. Okay, so we're talking about two days. So just to give people a little yeah. bit of a timeline. Okay, so go ahead, meeting with basically, the players. You went, through, you went through the grieving process and you, you've done you've done everything, man. I've we phoned to the ear for the last forty eight hours of just trying to figure out something for the players and talking to people, and all of a sudden you get this little bit of no. This little bit of resiliency kind of came over us, and um, you know, you start talking to more people and the support, and so you go and have a meeting with the players. Kind of bait, play, let them, hey, ladies, here it is. What do you want to do? And everyone to a man said they want to fight. Right. Or sorry, to a woman said they <laughs> yeah. want to fight for the program. <laughs> um, and we told them, if you really want to do that, we will, we will stand with you. We will be behind you um, and help you in any way that we can. And so that's really where it came from. And unless the players have a different view, that's the view that I got. Right. Kind of, it started to snowball from there. Go ahead, Sarah, if you have Right. Yeah, so Sarah, pick that up with, you know, they come to you and all of you to a person say, yeah, we want to we wanna fight. Um, imagine that, a hockey player <laughs> being resilient, wanting to fight and being stubborn. Uh, but kind of pick it up from there. So the players have to sort of initiate this effort. So walk us through what your team did. What was the conversation? Who, you know, <laughs> just how, how did all this happen to where it was turning into now an organized effort? Uh, I think, well, after the coaches came in, you know, it was, it's been the talk ever since then. You know, you have a conversation with your teammate. This is probably what you're talking about. But um, Jocelyn and Monique Glamour have been huge for us mm-hmm. even before this whole whole fight started. Now they're working with us right. every day, so we saw what they and and for the and for people who don't know, two former uh, sisters uh, uh, who played at the school a couple of years ago and then went on to play in the Olympics uh, and very vocal supporters of the UND women's hockey program. And part of the USA national, women's national team, the big big big, uh, they were out in front right. of helping them get their equitable treatment from USA Hockey. So. Right. Yeah. Uh, now they're helping us as well. Yeah. So we saw what right. they did with with social media, and we're obviously getting pointers from from Jocelyn too. But you no, know, we decided to take to what teenage 
people know social media. So mm-hmm. we're getting the hashtag never end the fight out there. We're we're starting stuff every day, so we'll we'll continue to do that. Mm-hmm. And as you follow their their stuff, that you know people are asking how can they help, what can they do. They ha- do have you know the tweets are out about that, the Facebook posts are out. Right. About, this is what you can do right now. And well, well, and I guess that's that's where I want to go sure. with with either of you or both of you is again. I'm anticipating that someone's going to listen to this and their program is in danger of being cut or this or even just significantly reduced where they're going to have to raise money. They're going to have to get outside support. And this is, you know, this is happening at North Dakota and it's drastically affected your program negatively in terms of being able to uh, potentially continue. But, you know, there's 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 always cuts and there's always, you know, the talk of cuts. And I guess I'm just wondering you're a program that has done the, you know, not the normal thing, which is to sort of, okay, well, I guess that's the way it is, and you slink off, and and that's that's it, and you're not doing that, and I guess, so you're using social media, but but what what are you doing specifically? Like, give people just a little bit of a roadmap of what the plan is and and has been. Uh, I mean, we're only talking a couple of days to start to get the word out and. You know, Sarah, to the extent that the players had to organize this, was it the same group of seniors that have said, okay, we're in charge and let's go do this? And Or is it everybody? I guess I'm just wondering how does it, how does that kind of a dynamic work when you're dealing with a, a little bit of a crisis situation? Oh, well, all of us have a lot on our plate right now, so we kind of decided it would be easiest for the campaign to have, you know, three to four faces without the Lamarus right now just to mm-hmm. be talking to media and, and letting people know what we're doing, which is the goal would be to reinstate our program. But I think this is a lot bigger than just our hockey team. Um, it's women's rights, really. Uh, you know, we're, we're role models to younger kids, uh, younger hockey players, younger girls, who unfortunately no longer have a team to watch in North Dakota. They're is only one program and that was at at UND here so without that mm-hmm. you know they gotta commute two hours to Bemidji to watch watch a division one hockey game like that's not not right. very fair at all and so that's kind of right from us right so what, what's going on Dan the women have, have started with the help of the members a social media campaign of um, you know how can you reach out how can you help you know I think some of those things actually went out today they have a, a like I said, they created a hashtag of never end the fight, you know? So when people ask, how can you help? They can direct them to, well, do this. And here it is. And they've created a Facebook page now of, with updates on um, how they can help and what they can do. So that's what the players are doing out in front. And you know, I want to reiterate what Sarah said. This is not just about our program. This is about a, a sport uh, for women that, uh, that those women deserve. I mean, with this one cut, Three percent, just about three percent of all Division One opportunity to play college hockey went away. Right. Um, so that because to- total number of, of women's hockey teams around the country uh, is it five and now it's thirty five and thirty four. Right. Now. Right. So when you cut one of thirty five, you cut what two point eight five percent. Um, right. That's a math major telling you that. So I yeah, I was going right. to say I can I see why Sarah. Right. I, I can see why Sarah came to you for for math help. That's pretty so, good. No, um, but yeah, in you know, and I think they're they're showing what one of the biggest things too is for me, and I I don't get a, a whole lot of politics. I am 
I, I watch mm-hmm. news. I do things, but I don't speak it very often. It's kind of like Arnold Palmer. There's two things you keep between you, yourself or keep to yourself. That's politics and religion, you know, mm-hmm. and you should just show it by however you act. Anyway, this one for me is they're showing young girls, young people, young women, how to have a respectful and professional um, fight for something you believe in. No one's no one's burning any buildings. No one's going to stop right. traffic. No one's going to go to a mall and make a big scene and have other people's daily lives be interrupted. But they are going to fight for what they believe in. They're going to stand up for themselves, and they're going to do what they can to make sure that they, they, they've exhausted all options before they say, right. nope, this fight is over. Right. And I, I believe that is, that is the bigger picture of what is really going on here. It's not just about the program. It's about showing... Like you said, those young, like Sarah said, those young people, those young girls, how to be able to stand for themselves in a respectful and professional manner to make, to affect change in the future. Here's a good question to ask at this point in the story. Has there ever been an example of a team that has rallied support and raised the necessary money to save themselves from extinction. Well, yeah, that has happened several times over the years. Most of the time it fails, but there have been examples when it has been done. In fact, there was even a bigger example of a larger effort that was successful very recently. In March of 2015, the board of Sweetbriar College announced that the school had hit a financial situation that would require it to close in August of 2015. So left with just a couple of months before closing, their supporters rallied. Alumni, students, parents, certainly the athletic department, all banded together and raised the necessary funds and financial commitments to save the college. They're still open. They're still operating today. I've done work there. That's a fantastic place with great people. One of those great people is Teresa Boylan. She is the athletic director now and was when the school was in danger of closing. And she was in the middle of the effort to save the school. It's a fascinating story and a very rare story where people were able to band together and do what was necessary to save the school. I asked her what advice she would give that team now, the University of North Dakota women's hockey team, as they decided to take on the same fight that the staff at Sweetbriar College did. And she gave me that advice, and she also took me back to the time, in fact, the exact day that she heard the news and had to deal with all those same emotions that the University of North Dakota's hockey team now is dealing with in their situation. Wow. Well, I did hear on that day, it was actually March 3rd, that the um, president announced that Sweetbriar would be closing effective June 30th of that year. And I've got to tell you, I think it took everybody by surprise and uh, pretty much blindsided. I guess that would be the, um, the mood, just really shock and devastation by everybody, faculty, staff, students. Um, we really had no idea that that was in the forecast. Right. And... So as as conversations started and, you know, people were just sharing, and I'm sure there was, you know, can you believe this is happening type of conversations, 
at, at what point did I guess how long did it take to work through all that sort of the I guess the grieving process? How long did that take uh, before you started to hear or even yourself feel like, hey, wait a minute, we could we could fight this? I'll tell you, it was uh, it was a series of mixed emotions. I think we all went through those four fa- phases of grief that uh, are typical with a devastating loss. And I think around here, it really was for the student athletes and our students in general, how could we help them? So as I look back, I really am, am very proud of our faculty and staff and especially our coaches. Um, you know, student athletes, they go to their coaches and the athletic department is the family community. So it really did become like the, uh, the basement or the den in a house and everybody would <laughs> yeah. be hanging out. And it was really just uh, a lot of counseling going on for the student athletes. Coaches would help students with uh, placement or just talking through, you know, what they were feeling and the issues. But, um, you know, I found myself being quite angry at the whole situation. And when, so we were, it was in March, so the spring sports were in the middle of their season. And we, basically, I guess the first move that I made was that, you know, we're, we're going to all come together. And I gathered the coaches and all the student athletes that were available. And we met in our theater. And, um, you know, it really was approached as another adverse situation that we were going to face head on. So I really mentioned that the the adversity that is in front of us was something that we deal with every day. We go into competition and we face it head on and that's what we're going to do with this. And I thought it was very important for us to finish our athletic seasons and uh, finish our schedules and honor our contracts and do the best we could and uh, just finish out the year strong because we really didn't know what was ahead at that point. Right. And um, so we did that and also kind of helped uh, place our student athletes in, in other homes. So it was very, um, it was very challenging emotionally. I have to right. say that. And uh, uh, I, I really can't give enough credit to uh, our coaches and our staff for, for making it, making a, a difficult situation a little bit easier. Right. So when did the talk of the rally, rallying the support and trying to save not I mean not only a program but an entire campus, an entire school. Right. When when did you start hearing that and and where did that start? How did it how did it bubble up to the surface where that began to sort of take on a life of its own? Well, I'll tell you, it, there were really three different areas that uh, were, were rallying. So our alumni group, uh, the Sweetbriar alumni are absolutely amazing and, and quite deep for a very small women's college. And so that was the first rallying cry. And then our faculty and staff uh, were also standing up for, for what they felt was a, um, a, a poor decision. And uh, where where we felt that not all possibilities were exhausted, and and why didn't we vet out other avenues before the announcement? And then there was also, as you may know, a lawsuit from the county of Amherst, where Sweetbriar is situated. So we had three different 
areas really vying for for the saving of the college. And uh, I, but I do think it started with the alumni. Um, they were just really adamant that this was not going to happen, and we're going to do everything that we can in our power to to fight this. So, right. Uh, and I, I got to tell you, I was somewhat mixed. I'm thinking, how how is this going to happen? Because you know, legal processes take quite a bit of time usually, and these sure. students needed to find. They needed to find another place to continue their education, and faculty and staff needed to continue their livelihoods. Right, um, right. I mean, so, yeah, you were talking about a 90 or a 100-day sort of window that right. all this was going on or needed to needed to happen. Exactly. So exactly. so as it began to take form and as it began to, again, gain some momentum, uh, when did you start to feel or what was the thing that indicated to you, hey, this we might actually be able to turn this around and do this. <laughs> well, actually, I had taken another position at another college in our conference and was surprised by the coach at the time who came in uh, at the other school that I was at. And he said, hey, Sweetbriar just called and they wanted to schedule a game. And this was after the announcement of <laughs> the saving of the college and mm-hmm. President Stone, who has just an amazing attitude and it's that's really where it starts that we can do this we have a tagline here um president stone's tagline is you know at sweetbriar impossible is just another problem to solve so he was uh, very um, confident that sweetbriar will continue on and programs will flourish and athletics will be a part of that vision and uh, so after that coach came in, I called my former colleagues and <laughs> I said, what's going on? <laughs> and, um, you know, they said, hey, we're back and we're scheduling and we are trying to get it all together. And uh, so I was intrigued. And then I myself had a, a conversation with President Stone and was swayed that he really wanted to make this happen. And they needed a director of athletics and a tennis coach so uh here i am and we we did we got the band back together we <laughs> we got coaches back from other positions that they had taken um which was also a difficult very difficult situation for myself and some of my colleagues that did have positions sure um because you know you do commit to a another avenue of employment and then you know, this was just so unprecedented that, um, you know, we we made that difficult decision, as did many students that were already deposited and, and enrolled in some some colleges. Sure. So, um, but they, you know, once, once you're at Sweetbriar, it does become family. It's, it's a very intimate community. And uh, the students, we had 52 student athletes coming back. So with the 52 student athletes, we fielded all six teams. And while it wasn't a full complement of our our traditional conference schedule, we competed in all of our sports. Right, right. So how how important, and, and maybe explain a little bit as to what the role was of the student athlete in all this, because at first they're coming to you for comfort, and I would imagine at some point along the way, they had to themselves sort of take on the mantle of of you know, leadership in some way to to help 
you know, to help this movement and, and the momentum get started. I'm just wondering what, what did you see in them transitioning from, you know, hey, coach, what's going on? And then there's the grief, and then it mm-hmm. transitions into something more, uh, you know, more powerful. I'm just, right. what, what was your observation about well, their role I tell in you, that? Dan, the announcement shook us to our core. There's no doubt about that. And then to return to the to the scene of the incident, uh, I think was a very courageous move by these young women. And uh, they trusted us. And they trusted that we would be here to lead them to the rebuild of the college. Right. And that started with their sport. And um, I think that's what we saw, the leadership in them and the the courage that they had to do not only to play their sport and come back and rebuild with maybe a skeleton crew on their team, but also to welcome other student athletes from other sports to participate in something that they've never done before. And so we really had a department full of full of dual sport athletes, which at our level in, in the conference is not the ideal. But, uh, you know, they said, no, we're going to make this happen and we're going to compete and we're going to do our best and we're going to help each other. And we we actually created a a one team courage award for the end of year banquet that was dedicated to all of the 2015, 16 student athletes here at Sweetbriar College. Wow. So. And, and, and you're still, uh, and, and you know, as you describe it, you're still in the process of rallying. This the 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 funding issue at Sweetbriar, you know, it you can't just put it to bed and ignore it. Uh, it's now something that's sort of this constant thing that you have to that the school that everybody there has to be aware of and be active in. Can so so where are you with that in terms of like what what. The, I guess the day-to-day effort or week-to-week effort that you have to put into uh, maintaining everything. Mm-hmm. Well, I think as as a leader of this department, really the focus is on continued recruiting and mm-hmm. obviously retention, um, and also just keeping that momentum of and the enthusiasm that we experienced last year. And like I said, it did shake us to our core, but it also revealed what our true values are. And it really gets back to mm. the character and integrity and that courage that the, you know, the student athletes have uh, exhibited. And we want to, we want to foster that and, right. and continue that forward. So as we continue to recruit, and we, you know, we've changed some focus. We, we can't go back to exactly how we did things before. We have to be a little bit more creative and, and uh, have high energy to to continue to recruit in areas that maybe we wouldn't have been recruiting before. So, right. you know, right now it's uh, really about numbers and telling, you know, telling our student athletes, uh, our prospective student athletes is, is really the challenge now is, is to, to, to earn their trust because they uh-huh. haven't been here yet. It was easier to earn the trust of the student athletes that had been here. But now after, in the wake of the the almost closure and then coming back, families are still questioning the viability of Sweetbriar College. So we need to, right. you know, it's constantly, message. yeah, it's constantly sort of retelling that story of of 
why they should put that trust in you. Yeah. Right. Right. But we don't really want to go back there. We just right. want to, <laughs> we want to let them know that we are, we're going forward. We, we feel very confident in the rebuild and the leadership here from the president on down. And it really starts there. Uh, president Stone has from day one been extremely supportive of athletics here at Sweetbriar. And that for us was a difference maker. Um, right. So that, uh, and, and just spreading that, that word and that attitude um, is going to be very important for, for our recruiting process. So you touched on it in what you just said, Teresa, about you know kind of how the campus has changed or is different. Can you just, though, give me your personal observation, the before and after? Before, you know, sort of comfortable, didn't, you know, you were just focused on other things besides the, the financial stability and survivability of the school, and now I would imagine that's, that's always a... Um, you know, just something that is in the back of your mind, if not at the forefront of something maybe that you're doing during your day. Mm-hmm. But I, I guess I'm wondering how has it changed the school and the people for the better? What I guess what did everybody collectively learn through that, and and you know how did you come out better for it on the other side? Sure. Well, I think it really brought us closer together. Uh, where as you go in your day to day, and I had been here for eight years at the time of the announcement the um, you know you, you're in your department you do your thing faculty or you know if it's biology or English or government you, you kind of you're in your zone and you're a little really, bubble you're right and you, this really brought everybody out and together and we realized we had a lot more in common than I, I think we you know we believed initially but um, I think the camaraderie and the enthusiasm is uh, much higher than it had mm. been. And, and I don't think we take that for granted anymore. I think we make an effort to go out to the dining hall for lunch and to get together on weekends and to support each other, whether it's recitals or an athletic event or a student uh, presentation, um, because it's really important to continue to foster that, that community here. Um, and you know, because we are such a small campus, uh, our student athletes are really involved in just about everything. We have engineering programs and teacher education and student government that uh, really, you know, the student athletes are representative just about everywhere across campus. So right. therefore, so are we. And uh, we want to make sure that they know they're supported. Right. So my last question, having gone through this and coming out, uh, for the most part, on the other side. Uh, and I appreciate the fact that you never really maybe feel like you're completely out. That's probably good to be that you know aware and being a little bit on your toes, uh, given mm-hmm. what, what Sweetbriar College went through. But I'm just wondering, uh, for uh, the program we're talking about today that is about to engage in the same fight, and for future programs, coaches, mm-hmm. athletic directors that might be listening to this, uh, Having gone through it, what is your advice? What would you be telling them right now at the front end of this, remembering back to how you were feeling and how you were scrambling a little bit? What would your advice mm-hmm. be? What, what what kind of roadmap would you lay out for a coach or an athletic director or a group of students that is facing what you faced? Sure. Well, that's a very good question because I, I'm wondering what I would have liked to have known prior to 
to that. And I think (laughs) sometimes, um, you know, as as much as you try to be prepared and you try to be proactive, uh, some of these decisions are really out of our control. You know, whether it's a business decision to be, you know, balancing the budget or Title IX issues. There, each I, I believe in each institution will have varying reasons for uh, making cuts or certain decisions. But for me, for where we are, I think it's just really being relevant and being creative and doing everything that we can to be a part of the college whole. We we cannot be on an island, and whether it's one sport or whether it's a department. Uh, we need to be an integral part of that campus community. And I think as a leader of that department, to really, you know, lift your head up every now and then, that uh, see what's going on outside and, uh, you know, be proactive and look for some areas that, you know, we can make a positive impact or suggestions and be part of the solution, not part of the problem. Um, some of that is all very cliche, but I think it's very, very true uh, in times like, you know, what we've had experienced. And, and for, you know, for instance, the, the program that is in the midst of it, that hasn't gone through and can't yet reflect back, but is in the midst of starting uh, this kind of effort to, to save a program or a school, mm-hmm. what 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 should they know? What would you what would you sort of give them as advice or encouragement or again just a a little bit of a roadmap for here's what you're going to face and be ready for it and here's what I learned. Anything that you would give over to them in that way? Sure. I, well, I think it becomes instinctive. I think our, I think our coaching and our caretaking somewhat takes over. And if you look at it as one big whole, it might be a little too overwhelming. And I think for for me, from March to even even now, it's obviously much easier now, but it is, it's a day-to-day process, and you do the best you can every day, but you're really, you have to re- reflect and evaluate what your purpose is, and when you're around student-athletes and the support that, you know, even though we're supporting them, they're also giving it back. It's very reciprocal, and it you know you feed off of each other and in a positive way. It it can go the other way too, and you have to be very careful that uh, as the adult, as the coach, as the leader of your team or your department, that you have to be the person that you that you would want to see in that role. You know, want somebody that's calm and trying to be clear-minded about making the right decision for the overall good of the the department or the team so um, and sometimes as we do in coaching you got to fake it until you make it and uh, but but usually that comes very naturally and um, I think as as coaches you know we're in that we're in this field because of you know some of the you know mostly you know, dealing with the teams and creating uh, good community members and, and leaders you know, to go on and do great things. So let's now jump back to the University of North Dakota women's hockey team's situation. We talked to them on April 5th, exactly one week after they had heard about the news that they would not be funded and that they were going to be cut as an athletic program at the school. In our conversation with assistant coach Eric Fabian and freshman player Sarah LeCavalier, 
we asked them what happens next. What was their plan? And how are they going to make efforts to save the program moving forward now that they knew what it would take? Okay, okay so obviously right away they said you, we need to endow the program. That's that's the that's it. That you need endowment. Well, uh, okay, so they did they did say that if you know you need to endow it as the first step to sort of reinstation reinstating it. When you look at athletic departments, there are very 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 few. If you know, I don't know the actual number, but there's very few that are fully endowed when you start looking across the entire country of athletic departments. Right. So anyway, right. That's that. That would be that. That that wouldn't be good. You know, we couldn't do that. But is there something else? So we've asked. Is there something else we can look at? Um, you know, X amount of dollars for X amount of years to keep this going. While we're doing that, we're continuing to build and grow um, the other financial part of it. So when funding would go back to the university, we would still have a good chunk to help. Um, help fund the program you know that's really okay. that's really what where we're going right now we're asking for a chance we're, we're looking for a chance and we're having conversations with people and people say how can i help there's a petition out they can sign it's on the internet number two would be to contact those people here at the university or uh, anybody in north dakota you think can affect change by by talking to those people and communicating with them and the third one is that financial piece what's that number what does it look like uh, we don't know that yet so until we know that, we're not going to ask you or anybody to say, hey, well, we want to raise a bunch of money. Because right. until we know that, we don't know the direction we need to go and how we should go about it. But that's right. really, that's the end game, obviously. But those first two things are really what we're asking people right now, and that's where we're at. Right. And and when when would you expect to know something or have indicated that you would know something about definite steps that you could take with an achievable or at least a definable goal towards solvency that, that's the hard part we, we don't really know um okay. and obviously it's a time sensitive issue um we will try to find out as fast as we can I, this can't drag out you know as you know two years for, you know sure and if it does the program goes away and now you're trying to build it back up that that doesn't really work um so it's, it is a time sensitive issue we're working as fast and as diligently as we can to to see if we can get that number or if there is an option of that and whenever we do if we do and when we get that 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 number and what it looks like and you know the, the paper signed that this is how it's going to look it's permanently reinstated this is what this is what you need to do and then after this happens we'll go for it and we'll, we'll do what we right. can and, right. Uh, so, so the status of the program now, uh, given this news, is what? I mean, if if it were to wind down, how does it wind down? Well, uh, if we would go, if it would fail, if the the, the yeah, if the effort if, would fail, and I'm going to say fail, right. I'm not going to say quit because I choose failure over right. quitting any day of the week. Right. Um, right. So, if it were to fail, um, players would find other places. Uh, they would move move and go to those other schools. As a, but this is starting with the 2017-2018 academic correct. year. They would go immediately. Yeah, yeah. Players would go okay. immediately. So, places. so while you're, and this is a question for you, Eric. Just as coaches, I mean, not that you, <laughs> the average coach has you know, 150 things they do in a day just to run a program, and now you've added, you know, <laughs> the the task of also, oh by the way, saving the program. Well, yeah. So do you so when it comes down to like the simple things that most coaches could identify with practicing scheduling uh got to order you know new equipment I mean just like where does that all just grind to a halt yeah. does it you know okay and but at some point there also has to be you know plans assuming that you do get the 
the news that you're looking for and making this effort for that you then have to sort of you're in that limbo stage i'm just wondering as coaches how do you handle that with something as simple as workouts i mean you're still are you still working out is it still sort of a little bit business as usual just in case and in the event that that you know the 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 effort takes hold yes Uh, so we've ground everything to a halt like that is the furthest thing from our concern right now um, we don't okay. even, I, like you said, I got other things to do, but I don't do them. I mean, that's, I mean, I want to see other things to do. I, I mean, yeah, I can technically start, you know, continue my recruiting stuff, but that makes no sense right now. For me, this is our main focus. Again, it's, it's our first focus is helping our athletes and, you know, supporting them and making sure we can do whatever we can to save the program or get a number right. that we can try reach to save the program. Number two, it's them. Right. Um, making sure that they, when if it if it does go bad and we don't don't this doesn't doesn't work, they have a place to play, and that's part of the right. hard part for them too. They're balancing that because they have to have those conversations with people and they have to be able to you know to go out and do those things. But we've also had conversations with coaches that hey, we're doing this. We love your support. We're asking our players not to do anything, and I'm not going to say the the exact time because that obviously throws this sure. gets out that oh well, it's got to wait that long. I'm, I'm not doing that. Sure, so, sure. But, but we've right. Asked the people wait. <laughs> you know, to, to take those and make those commitments and do other things. And we've got a great, you know, overall, um, yeah, coach said, yeah, I agree with that. I talked to like three of them yesterday. Yeah, Eric, no problem. Whatever you need, you just okay. let us know. Um, but is it okay to talk? Yes. You guys can talk to them because if, like I said, this goes bad, we don't, we don't have it. As far as players, they're right. still working out. They're still skating. They don't want to, they don't want to give up. And if it, even if they go somewhere else, they still have to have a little bit of, and it's, Part of the probably Sarah can attest to it. It's a mental reprieve for the day. They can just go work out. Hmm. They can just go skip. Right. Is it organized right now? No. Um, but they can they, they do it on their own. They they work out together still. They come here, they get their workout right. in, and they do whatever else they have to do. Right, right. So Sarah, from the from a player standpoint, you know, again, it's been about a week. Uh, as as Eric said, I'm just wondering mood of the players and and kind of what you know how has this changed the team uh i mean it obviously your circumstances that you're operating within have changed but i'm just wondering how are all of you doing and and what what differences have you seen and maybe even are there any positives that have come out at least from a team standpoint about all this uh that's been going on well i think right now it's an emotional roller coaster between all of us. Emotions right. are high. Um, we're really learning a lot about each other. <laughs> but on the note of positives, you know, we've come together. We've always been a family, but we've come together a lot more this week. And uh, I think we we see what we can do. The power we we have when we all stick together, and right, and as well as seeing the support from the hockey community and beyond no that doesn't go unnoticed we see that and we see people standing right. behind us and it really helps you know it helps with the way we're feeling and and what we say to each other I'm like hey did you see this like it's nice to see this person you know especially on other teams too um the amount of support that we've gotten is is amazing Right. The people, the, the right. teams that are your bitter rivals. Yeah. That, you know, I even go through Twitter and go, oh, she's supporting. Oh, wow. You know, like you're, the teams that you, yeah. you, those are some heated games, but the support is there. And it's pretty cool. 
as I mean, even yeah. as a coach, like, it's it's really cool to see. And it, you know, as a person, you just people are supporting you because they believe in the the women's women's hockey game, and it's really cool to see. Right. So you mentioned you know the support that you're getting, and you've mentioned a couple of times some of the larger efforts that are starting. And again, for the coaches that want to be involved, uh, and I would, I mean, just as a editorial standpoint, I think you know coaches around the country, no matter what sport you coach, should be involved. Anytime a team, especially, takes on this kind of an effort and decides they want to fight, uh, this could be your team next time. This could be your athletic department next time, and. And so I guess I'm just wondering if a coach is listening and uh, they don't have an extra $1.3 million laying around that, that they're not doing anything with, um, although some do. No. So if you're, if you're out there and you're listening, yeah, you never know. But, <laughs> but, but I guess what is the you – know, what would you ask coaches to do or anybody listening to this – how do they get involved, even in a small way? Because it sounds like right now the small ways are the most important in some respects. So where do they go? What do they do? Sign the petition. And I, uh, okay, where is that? Uh, on? I don't have a. I don't. I don't have a link in front of me. Actually, hold on. I can get a link for you. All right. I don't even know the link name right now. It's a change.org link. Okay. Um, well, they could probably just. I wonder if they could search for it on change.org. Okay. So, and, and Sarah, while uh, while Eric is uh, is trying to find uh, that information from just a player standpoint, what what is the thing that you've sort of initiated, or what you've talked about the hashtag that you're using, uh, never in the fight, and I'm just wondering what is it that that you know you that from the players as a spokesman for them, what would you want people to do? I think right now, just retweeting our tweets, you know, getting, getting word out there. You know, the more people that see it, the better it is for us, you know. Um, we did start a Facebook page last night, um, Never End the Fight. So okay. if, if you need to look, look at anything or just search that up and like it, follow it, we'll be posting everything on there, even if you don't have Twitter. Um, what's that? The, the petition will be on there. Oh, yeah, there. the petition is on there. Yeah. So everything that we've, we've sent out is on that page. Um but getting okay. the word out is extremely important right now. Yeah. But uh, sorry, Dan, we've got uh, it's change.org, and you would search "keep North Dakota women's hockey alive." Okay, change.org, keep North Dakota women's hockey yeah. alive. Okay. So. All right. Um, so what? I guess the the. Um, this is a story that's playing out, so we don't know the end. And you're actively involved in, you know, in this uh, in this fight. I guess I, I would want to end it, and hopefully, coaches can get behind this and, you know, and tweet about it. And if they sign the petition, or they decide to write a letter, or make calls, whatever it is. I mean, the small stuff right now is important. It sounds like, uh, but what? Just the messages that you would want to get out to other coaches, other programs that are listening to this, and they they may not have understood. You know, you see a headline, you see a story, and that's one thing. But then you start talking to the people involved, and you have a deeper understanding of of what's going on. So, what what would you want the message or the lesson to be for coaches in all this? And you know, Sarah, for you, after Eric answers, maybe. 
you know, for players, what what is it that uh, that you would hope coaches understand about the player perspective? But Eric, can you just sort of give us maybe you know one big lesson that a coach can take away I, I from would, all this? I've attributed, or I've uh, thought about that quite a bit actually, and thought about why would you know why are we fighting? What's going on? Or why why would why would we do this? As a coach, mm-hmm. if you don't fight, if you don't uh, stand up for what you believe in, that goes that goes against everything that a coach would really teach their players. When times are tough, like for us, so if you're down four goals going to the third period, do we tell them, ah, you know what, just stay in the locker room, guys. That's okay. It's all right, girls. Like, well, mm-hmm. this, you know what, or just go on the ice. You know, don't worry about it. You know, hey, just just go lay down for them and let them let them win the hockey game. We don't ever say that. And t- when times are tough, right. when it's a tough right. game, when things aren't going your way. We tell them you, bond, you you band together, you work hard, and you compete to the bitter end, and that's what you're going to continue to do, no matter the score, no matter what, and that's how you conduct yourselves, um, and you be respectful and professional as you're doing it too. You know, I don't think any coach ever says, "Hey, I want you to go do this and be cheap and dirty." I mean, if you do it, obviously not, you shouldn't be doing it, but but you always teach right. them you never give up, you always work hard, and you compete to the end. So if we would just, if, you know, if they say we want to fight and we go as coaches, eh, no, no, you're good. Like that, that doesn't make much sense. That goes against everything you've ever taught them, told them, um, preached right. to them in the year, year, years you've had with them. So that'd be my message is you have, this is a, this is one of the things that we have to practice what we preach. Uh, you know, it, you can walk soft or speak softly and carry or carry a big stick, right? Like that's really what it is. Right. If we could talk about competing and right. just always being there and never giving up, and then all of a sudden we're just going to give up, that really doesn't uh, it doesn't resonate through your your players very well. I wouldn't think, or through the community, or through anybody anybody else that would want a coach to come work for them. Really, you want that person that's right. going to fight, and you may not always agree with that person, right. but you know what? You at least know that they have the best interest of that program and those players at heart every time they make a decision. Right. And Sarah, for you, from a player's perspective, what what do you want coaches or even other teams or players to understand about what you you and the other players at UND have learned about this whole side of college athletics in the last week that's you know been a difficult lesson, but still there's lessons to learn. I guess was what, what are the things that you're taking away from it right now in I the middle of it all? Stick together, lean on each other. If there's problems, you know, talk it out everyone's here for for your best interest and uh, along with that I think enjoy the time that you have together everyone tells us you know college is short four years fly by but this one <laughs> we, I've only got one <laughs> yeah but, uh, no yeah on Thursday you know the day after we heard the news I don't think I left the group with them all day you know you just spend time with them have fun we had a barbecue one day you know get to know get to know each other um get out of your right. shell if you're shy uh and i would imagine too for both of you it would put things in perspective like all the little things you worry about during the year the petty things that go on in the locker room yeah. or on the ice or you know just the normal stuff all of a sudden it gets exactly. put in perspective and you know so has have you noticed that as well and in that that whole scenario yeah, I mean, like there wasn't very much drama at all this year we we all got along, which was crazy. It was one of the things we were so excited about going into next season was how close we were. But um, 
you know, you get in little fights, you know, little girl fights, and and honestly, sure. you don't even remember them anymore. They're they're funny now. Um, no, there's so much that that's bigger than you think at the time, and and we've definitely all learned that through this this week. Right. right. You always you always hear so you know whatever live live like there's no tomorrow. Well, it's kind of like the same way the program. Yeah. Treat your program like there's no tomorrow. And uh, right. you don't believe it till it actually could happen, and it uh, it's hard. And you know, so you always just do everything you can that day to make sure that you have the best program around, and continue to always live by those those standards. And if it goes away, at least you did everything that you can do to keep that program um, up to the level that you wanted at as a coach. But that's not the end of the story. After we were done with this interview, news came out that the University of North Dakota women's hockey team did get the number they needed and the goal that they would have to set to save the program. That goal was $60 million. The school announced in their view that target was unreachable. And so, in their view, the cuts were final. There would be no fundraising effort. There would be no last-ditch attempt to save the program, at least, again, from the athletic department's point of view. The students, well, they're still trying to figure out a way to save the program. The coaches, admittedly, told me that we're down to a Hail Mary. And so that's where we sit. No answers, but a huge huge hurdle to clear. Can they do it? Well, I can tell you this, knowing the staff and listening to the players, if there is a program in the country that has the fight and the willpower and also a good number of supporters that are ready and willing to try to help the program make it, this would be the program that could do it. That being said, it is a daunting goal. And so we leave it as an unknown. We launched this podcast and released it not knowing all of the answers. So we'll just have to wait and see. If you're a coach, though, that is listening to this and has listened all the way through, you know how to help the team. They outline that, and we encourage you to lend their support. And from a bigger picture standpoint, the reason, again, that I wanted to bring this story to you is because they never thought in the state of North Dakota in a hockey-crazy part of the country, in an incredible arena with incredible fan support. They never imagined that it could be their program that was cut. And it was. So, Coach, my message to you is, what do you need to do to learn more about how your program is financed, where the university and the athletic department stands in terms of that financing, and are there things that you, as the CEO of the program, can be doing to lend yourself to the effort to create a better foundation for your program so it continues uninterrupted with no threats and no question marks surrounding it financially and in terms of of the future? That's the big question that I pose to you, and I don't, of course, have the answer to that. You have to find out and dig. I think the other lesson that goes along with that is that we are beyond the days of a coach simply showing up with a whistle and a clipboard and showing up on the ice, on the field, on the track, on the court to coach your sport. It is so much more than that. It is recruiting. 
it is budgeting, it is travel, it is counseling, and it is financial accountability. All of it get wrapped up now into this job of a college coach. When it comes to the financial part, be the college coach that pays attention, that that puts a focus on making sure you have the answers that you need so that you can act accordingly. Become great at fundraising, become great at recruiting to go along with the greatness that you have developed as a coach. And that's how we're going to end it. We hope that it helped. I hope that you feel for what this other program and their players are going through and what past programs have gone through. And take it, remember it, and figure out ways to make sure that your program is as healthy financially as possible and that you are a coach who is aware of every part of the operation of your program. I want to thank you for listening. We'll talk more next time on the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast. I first heard about